Welcome back. It's another edition of Hockey Central. Haley Salvian with you for the next hour. Logan Gordon's riding shotgun with me this afternoon as well. Ian Mendez is going to join the show in about 15 minutes, 1.15, to chat about the Ottawa Senators and that wild 7-5 game last night against the Boston Bruins. I'm also going to give Ian a hard time because I texted him last night in the first period, asked him to come on, and on my way into the shop, I hear him on uh, Jeff Merrick's show. So we're going to give Ian Mendez a hard time. He's also one of my... Uh, colleagues at the Athletic covers the Ottawa Senators, one of the hosts on the podcast, so I work with him a lot. So it's fine. It'll just it'll be good fun ribbing. Matt Fairburn, also from the Athletic, he covers the Buffalo Sabers. He's going to join us in the final segment of the show around 1:40. We're going to tee up Calgary's game against the Buffalo Sabers coming on Thursday night. We'll get into some Sabers talk too because they're off to a pretty interesting start. They beat the Edmonton Oilers four to two last night. But first, uh, Calgary Flames overcome a early 2 nothing deficit against the previously undefeated Vegas Golden Knights last night. Flames go on to win 3-2. to Calgary starts the season 3-0 and with wins against Colorado, Edmonton, and now Vegas. So let's bring in Logan Gordon. He's here with me. As mentioned, always typically riding shotgun with me here in this first segment before we go to the Atlas Pizza Hotline. Logan, what's up? What did you think last night? It was an interesting game last night, Haley. It was uh, a little different than the script we'd seen from the first two, but still an exciting one at the Dome and Flames 3-0 and for the first time in a long time. Yeah, pretty... Uh, I don't even really want to call it a sloppy first period because I think the Flames did carry play and they had a lot of chances. They still outshot Vegas. You know, it was not a horrible first period. Um, there were some, there was some sloppiness to it. Uh, I thought that first goal that Markstrom allowed by William Carrier was not good. I don't think you need to tell Jacob Markstrom that. It's a bit of a whiffling puck that caught him in the top of the glove and, and goes in. That's something he would obviously want back. We know how competitive he is. So that's not breaking any news to anyone that that was a pretty bad goal to let in off the top. Um, Logan Thompson was really good in the first period. That was one of the big takeaways I had after 20 minutes is, you know, that glove save on Tyler Toffoli was was excellent. Like, that wasn't, oh, he caught it in his glove, even though that puck was sailing over the net or going wide or something like that. That would have been that would have been a goal by Tyler Toffoli, and, and that was a, a great stop by Thompson to, to come across. I thought Toli, uh, Toffoli was in and around it a lot all night. Um, I don't know what you thought. I thought he had a pretty good game. Five shots on goal, eight attempts. I know his offense and some of those chances came on the power play, but I think that was one of those nights where you look at Tyler Toffoli and say, yeah, maybe the top line didn't get it done. They didn't score at five on five, et cetera. Um, but you look at Tyler Toffoli and what he's doing um, and the way he's getting chances, those those opportunities are going to start to fall. Like That top line should be all right if Toffoli can, can have five shots on goal and, and almost double-digit shot attempts in all situations. Yeah, Tyler's kind of an interesting case this year because even though it's early, he's kind of been the one that a lot of, actually I don't want to say a lot of, but maybe a certain group of Flames fans have sort of keyed in on as maybe the guy that might not fit on that top line. There's been some questions about whether he's got the skating ability to keep up with a Huberto and a Lindholm. And honestly, I haven't seen the same thing that a lot of people are, are talking about. I think Toffoli's actually a pretty good option mm-hmm. to throw up there, Haley. I think he's got one of the best shots on the team, and 
once him and, and Lindholm and Huberto kind of click some more, I think he's the right kind of guy that you want finishing off some of those great plays from, from Huberto. But last night I think was a good confidence booster and probably a reminder to some people that I think it can work. I, I think Tyler gets a lot of shot volume through. Mm-hmm. Daryl likes that. And he has, he does get those opportunities. He's kind of a guy that plays around the net a lot and it showed last night. It led to one goal and you mentioned the one that, that Logan Thompson kind of robbed him on. It could have been uh, a pretty good stat line for Tyler Toffoli, all things considered. Definitely. I think, you know, Michael Backlund gets the game winner. Obviously, there's a really great second period. I, I think when you're looking at this game overall, it, it's a good early example of the Flames being a deeper, more impactful team up and down the lineup. Because, again, you know, the top line didn't take over. They didn't score at 5-on-5. Five five. This wasn't a game that was won by the Calgary Flames top line, which is what we got so accustomed to last season with the the top line that they had in Elias Lindholm, Johnny Gaudreau, Matthew Kachuk. But but the, th- the difference here is the Flames didn't need their top line to take over. They did not need Tyler Toffoli and Jonathan Huberto and Elias Lindholm to take control of the game and win it for them, although it would have been great. Sure, who's going to say no to that? Um, but I think this is a really good sign for the Flames that they can win a game against a team that some people believe is going to be back in the playoff picture in the Vegas Golden Knights off of, you know, a, a game-winning goal from Michael Backlund, who's the third-line center, off of a second period that the fourth line was great. Like, they were a huge part of, of the win last night. They drew four of the six penalties that Vegas took in the second period. The top guys converted on the power play uh, twice, three, I guess, if you count the goalie interference. I still don't understand that rule, apparently, and, and we can get into that a little bit more. But I just thought last night was an example of the Flames being top to bottom better. They don't need one line to take over. They can win a game on the backs of the fourth line going in and having great shifts. There was a shift in the second period. Um, it was the perfect fourth line shift, you know, um, Brett Ritchie was really good on the forecheck, goes in, he's he's hard on the boards, he gets the puck, you know, he wins the puck retrieval, he wins that puck battle, puck's loose, Milan Lucic, I believe it was, keeps it in the zone, and then Brett Ritchie comes back to the net front and draws a penalty. The Flames then go on the power play and, and score off those opportunities. Um, this is what Daryl Sutter had to say about the fourth line. It's just on... Power play goals, they should announce them guys' assists because they carried the guys that were on the power play for the first half of the game. Give us assists for the guys who drew the penalty. I think that I think that's fair. But I think that quote from Daryl, that, you know, I just think that, again, I, I don't know how many times last season we could say that, you know, the top line was quiet and the bottom six helped carry us. And I think that's a really good early sign for the Calgary Flames. Oh, it's, it's huge. It's one of those things that I think you, you don't appreciate until you have it, Haley. And, and it's right because you're, even if it's not putting up points like that, I think putting your team in a, in a spot to success and putting your top guys in an opportunity to roll out on the power play five or six times in a period, mm-hmm. well, that's unrealistic to put up every night when you can do it. It's great. But yeah. even to do that, when you can, I think is still a big benefit. Brett Ritchie was a guy that, you know, you keyed on. I thought he played a tremendous game and 
Uh, Pat pointed it out on the broadcast last night that they were all hardworking penalties that the Flames drew. It wasn't, you know, a puck over the glass or just a right place, right time thing. It was because they were simply outworking the Vegas Golden Knights and forcing them into taking these bad penalties. And eventually it led to the Flames tying the game. And that was the direct result of the work that the fourth line put in. It might have been the top guys scoring, but maybe they don't get those opportunities if it's not for the work that the fourth line put in. Yeah, and that's why we hear Daryl Sutter saying, I want to see them with assists on those goals because you don't get that power play opportunity. You don't get Tyler Toffoli or Elias Lindholm scoring those goals um, on the power play if they don't draw the penalty. So I thought that was really great. I thought the fourth line was excellent. I'm consistently uh, impressed with what they've been bringing to the table and, and some of the early observations with this team are, are, are looking pretty great. I think when you maybe looked at the schedule for the Flames and you're thinking, oh gosh, they have so many new faces, so many new names. They got to work out the chemistry. They're going to work out some kinks. What are they actually going to look like? Are they going to be better? And oh boy, we have to figure all that out against the backdrop of a pretty wicked first three games against Colorado, Edmonton, and Vegas. And, and they've won all three in, in uniquely impressive ways. So it's a good start by the Flames. Um, I guess before we move on, and Ian's going to come on in five minutes, there is some other news to get to, but in terms of injuries, there was the Board of Governors yesterday as well. Um, but I've got to say, I, I, I can't, I, I'm a goalie interference person. I will always make the tweet or ask the question, like, I know they ended up winning and it doesn't really matter, but I still thought last night, Elias Lindholm's first goal that gets called back uh, I just have questions <laughs> about goalie interference, Logan. I have thoughts and questions. To me, and I, I believe Daryl said after the game, like, you know, I guess they got it. They got it right in the end. Uh, I just struggle with it because, like, Logan Thompson was already kind of down and out. Like, he was already <laughs> laying on the ice before Kadri even got there. So I'm curious how Kadri impacted his ability to make the save when he was already down and looked like uh, Nicholas Raw trip slash pushed him in i don't know maybe that's old news they won who cares but it just annoys me i'm sick of goalie interference i don't even know why i brought it up logan how, how no, do you feel <laughs> I, 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 hey i asked daryl about it last night i i tweeted about it too i was curious because when we were up in the press box last night i saw on the sports and the television side of things daryl really giving it to one of the refs after the the call came in as no goal and I thought okay well wow, yeah he Darryl. really enunciates on those ones eh <laughs> <He> sure does <laughs> I great. was like I was like oh man Daryl hated that call yeah. so I was like okay I'm gonna ask him about it and see what exactly <laughs> he didn't like and he gave me the complete opposite answer that I was expecting yeah. he was like yeah I, I guess it was fine he said my my biggest problem was that it just took so long they were just stalling like hurry yeah. up and decide if you're challenging that was my biggest issue with it but I. I was with you. I had an issue with the actual goaltender interference call on it, and I, I can't remember. I think it might have been Mike McKenna who we had on last week on your show mm -hmm. uh, who had tweeted out, you know, I, it, it feels like a coin flip, and it yeah. shouldn't be that way. I feel like there's just, and I get that there's gray area, and there's so many different factors that go into it, but it shouldn't be a total mystery what each call is going to be. We shouldn't have to watch these games and guess at every single one of these because I, I do feel like it should be a little bit more clearly defined and it can be frustrating. I mean, that was a good opportunity for the Flames. You're right. Maybe in hindsight it's irrelevant, but 
as of right now, you could have looked at that as a big moment in the game if the Flames were to not get that goal and Vegas gets the next one. I I looked at it last night as wondering exactly what you did and saying, I thought Logan Thompson was out of that play well before any interference would have happened. Mm-hmm. So what's the logic in in calling that goal back? I, I don't know, and we don't usually get those answers from the NHL either. <laughs> no. So good win by the Calgary Flames. 3-2 to two against the Vegas Golden Knights. It's a 3-0 and start to the season for Calgary. We're going to get a bit more Flames talk. The bottom of the show, we're going to have Matt Fairburn on. Uh, he's our Buffalo Sabres writer at The Athletic, and, and we're going to tee up the matchup that's that's upcoming. One of the uh, two, the second of the three games this week for the Calgary Flames coming up later in the show. But before we get to Ian Mendez to talk about the Senators, I just want to say uh, a holy injury news dump this morning. Uh, Wednesday morning, afternoon, I think the big one. There was some some rumbles last night. I saw some reports that Aaron Ekblad was going to be out long-term. There's some reports saying it's a groin issue. And then Bill Zito, the Florida Panthers, announced this morning that Aaron Ekblad is going to be on LTIR. So he left Florida's game on Monday against the Boston Bruins in the second period. I believe it was after a collision with Jake DeBrus. They were chasing down a loose puck. They collide. He goes off. Um, I mean, Logan, this is a huge loss for the Florida Panthers, given the the caliber of player that we're talking about in Aaron Ekblad. This is one of the you know most discussed like top guys in the league. So that's that's a loss. But it's even bigger when you consider the state of the Florida Panthers blue line. I think you know losing Mackenzie Weger was already a hit to the Panthers' defense core this season. Um, and we saw last year and the year before that because this is not the first time that Aaron Eckblad has missed a significant amount of time. And for the Panthers, they always had Mackenzie Weger to step in and kind of carry that load. And and I think that was when some people, especially when Eckblad was out, um, when he broke his leg and he missed a significant amount of time, um, the last two seasons, I think a lot of people started realizing, like, you know, Mackenzie Weger can can handle this stuff on his own, and his value just went up from there when he could show what he could do without Ekblad in the lineup. Um, they don't have Weger anymore. The Flames do. That's a huge problem. And Brandon Montour is also hurt. So actually on, on Monday before Ekblad even got hurt, the Panthers played with five defensemen because uh, Montour was out, and they didn't have enough cap space to replace him. Uh, so obviously Ekblad going on to LTIR helps. They can call up a couple of guys. It looks like Lucas Carlson and Matt Kierstad are coming up from the American Hockey League. But uh, yeah, this isn't great for the Florida Panthers. Not at all. No, that's that's a tough loss. And you're right about you know the narrative in this city and people are finding out quickly about the value of Mackenzie Weger and why he was such a big piece of that Matthew Kachuk trade going back to the offseason. The, this is what I didn't get about what Florida was doing in all of that was uh-huh. I, I understand wanting to acquire Matthew Kachuk, and he may be the more valuable piece long-term when it comes to comparing those deals, but Florida really didn't do anything to replace what they lost on defense going back to the offseason. I look at it, I thought, okay, Claude Giroux was a trade deadline guy. Okay, you can understand he's going back home to Ottawa. Uh, Ben Chirot was another guy that they had brought in last year, paid a big price to bring him in. He's gone as well from their blue line, and they don't really bring anyone in. I mean, Mark Stahl is 35 now. He came in Mm -hmm. on a PTO, but I don't think that Mark Stahl is the Mark Stahl of 
five, no. six years ago. Who's no, a, I mean, did you see him get walked by David Pasternak the I other did, day? I did. I yeah. did. That's not a yeah. great sign when, when you've lost a couple <laughs> defensemen and the guy that you're throwing in is, is doing that. And hey, uh, all due respect to Mark Stahl, I know David Pasternak. Past- yeah, yeah, it's, it's Pasternak. He's yeah, walked yeah. a few people in his life, <laughs> yeah. but at the same time, I just look at this defense core right now and I wonder where they're going because for a team that won the President's Trophy last year, Haley, it doesn't look like a decor that's winning anything this year. No, and it's tough, and I think part of maybe why they didn't do anything on defense dovetails a little bit with part of the reason why they make the trade in the first place with with Mackenzie Wieger and Jonathan Huberto, and and I think if you were looking at the long-term cap outlook in Florida, it's tricky, and I think they were faced with the real the reality excuse me that they wouldn't be able to re-sign both Mackenzie Weger and Jonathan Huberto so you're looking okay what are we going to do do we trade one do we keep one and then Matthew Kachuk comes available and it kind of says all right well if we can only have enough money to sign one elite guy let's go and get that one um so they go and get Matthew Kachuk cuz yeah their books are are a lot because you've got um you know another Ekblad extension that's going to be coming up. Barkov's making $10 million. Um, Anthony Duclair is going to come off long-term injured reserve at some point. So the Florida Panthers books are a bit of a mess. So um, let's table that. I mean, we're probably done with that. It's fine. Aaron Ekblad's out. And uh, let's go to the Atlas Pizza hotline. You've got Ian Mendez on the line. I kept him waiting a little bit. Uh, that was my revenge. I feel like you've made me do that before. And all the years of going on your radio shows, Ian, welcome exactly. to mine. How's it going? This is, this is great. I, I'd like to get a slice of this Atlas pizza, by the way. For being yeah, me guest. too. I didn't eat before I came in. so <laughs> Every time I go to the phone line, I'm like, ooh, <laughs> maybe I'll get a slice. <laughs> uh, thanks for joining me, Ian. It was a crazy game last night, and I did give you a hard time off the top of the show because I was on my way to the studio, and I heard you talking to Jeff Merrick, even though I think I texted you first, but that's all right. It was a big game. Everyone wants to talk to you. We're going to make this a completely different interview than what we did with Merrick, okay? Yeah, so, yeah. So if you, if you happen to have <laughs> been listening a couple of hours ago, don't worry, totally different feel. With this, yeah, uh, the vibes with this are better. The vibes are better yeah. here. Yeah, the chemistry, it's going to be off the charts, just like uh, our our failed podcast. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> People listening right now are going to be like, now I see why these two, yeah. their podcast, they had to break up. They just didn't have the chemistry. Yeah, so if uh, Ian, you're actually you're hosting with Julian McKenzie now on the Monday show at The Athletic. And Julian, uh, you know, took my place in Calgary, and he's doing a great job covering the Flames. He had a nice game story last night. But the Flames 3-2 win against the Vegas Golden Knights. But, Ian, you were in Ottawa last night. Uh, wild game. 7-5 win over the Boston Bruins. It's their home opener. Daniel Alfredson's in the house. I think there was like 19,000 fans in the building at Canadian Tire Center. They ran out of beer. Like, can you <laughs> yeah. just <laughs> take us through what was... What I can imagine for some people, a really emotional and kind of welcome night in Ottawa, considering how long the rebuild had been going. Some of the, you know, there were some dark days in Ottawa. And I thought last night, just I I was I spent some time in Ottawa. I was watching it all and I was just really happy for the people there because it looked like something that they'd been waiting for for a while. 
Yeah, that, that's a good way to put it. And look, you you understand this market because you you've been here. But you know, for the people in Calgary that that probably only maybe pay attention to Ottawa a little bit, what's the one thing you all think about with Ottawa the last five years? Like, oh, they don't get people to show up to their games. Attendance problems in Ottawa, right? Like, we got to remember this. And this obviously the pandemic affected attendance in Ottawa because there were some nights with no fans or limited capacity. But you go back to the last season before. Uh, COVID, which was 2019-2020. Ottawa was dead last in the league in attendance. They were averaging about 11,000 people per per game. So there was a huge issue with attendance here. And to have a home opener last night to 106% capacity. Think about that. They were over capacity last night by 6%. We have not seen a crowd of this size in Ottawa in about six years. Uh, so this was a rebirth it was it was this palpable sense of excitement from all summer long it was they got to bring it wow they got Giroux wow they you know they they locked up Tim Stutzler and Josh Norris to these long-term contracts it was like the good vibes were flowing in Ottawa and it all kind of came to a head last night it was their first chance in Ottawa for the fan base to really I guess show that appreciation in person. And, and the team responded with a wildly entertaining, albeit at times sloppy, but wildly entertaining game. And, and you know, Danny Alfredson came out, and you, you would have thought the roof would have come off the place. Uh, mm-hmm. This was a, uh, you know, and again, for, for people here, Danny Alfredson is our Jerome McGinley, right? Like, he's our guy yeah. that, that was through thick and thin, was the captain through some awful times and led this team to a Stanley Cup final, didn't quite get them over the hump, but, like, you know, all the things you think of with, with Jerome, you think about with Daniel, uh, now headed to the Hall of Fame. Like, it, it was perfect, and, and he was kept away from this franchise for years. Mm-hmm. Like, for four or five years, there was a disconnect. And I think him coming back, it was, like, the perfect symbol for – Hey, everything's back. It's it's okay. It was like yeah. you know the end of the Lion King where uh, you know, Simba returns. Simba returns. <laughs> oh, yeah, been, yeah. The place is on the rock. Down. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, but now it's like now <laughs> it's like yeah, like Simba's home, and that's how it feels like with Daniel Alfredson <laughs> coming out last night. Uh, are your uh, both of your daughters like in, in university now? You're getting sentimental watching Disney movies. Just exactly. ones. Just yeah. ones out there, oh, right? Oh, I know. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> no, yeah. it's yeah, perfect. Those, those days are. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so um, that's great. I think, you know, talking about um, Alfredson in the sense, you know, to contextualize it like this is Ottawa's Jerome McGinley. I mean, that's that's going to it's gonna hit because I'm sure there'd be a lot of sen- uh, Flames fans, excuse me. I mean, even you look, Lanny McDonald's around all the time. He was at the game last night. Like, if you're at a Flames game, you're just walking around, you'll probably bump into Lanny McDonald at some point during the season. Jerome McGinley comes to games sometimes. He's a little bit more low-key, kind of spending time with his family when he's watching the games, etc. But yeah, it was great to see Alfredson and, and everything happen in Ottawa. But in terms of the game, I mean, it's their first one of the season, 7-5 over Boston, as mentioned. Uh, the Bruins, I believe, had gone 3-0 and to start the season. Um, seven different goal scores for the Ottawa Senators. I think it's hard to have takeaways from games like that. Um yeah when they're so wild and, and there's probably a lot of bad that happened, but you get the win, so you kind of just ignore it. You take the two points and you move on to the next one and hope that you're not letting in five goals in the next game. But I think it was a nice example of the Senators having more skill, more scoring depth and offensive weapons as, you know, illustrated by the seven different guys who found the score sheet. Yeah, exactly. And I, I think that was the key for, for – like, you know what it reminded me of? Remember, um, and this is, I don't mean to do this to Flames fans, but 
remember game one of the Oilers series? I whatever what was that eight six or nine six? Yeah. Whatever that game was, mm-hmm. and it was like you were watching that game, and you're like. Whoa, this is crazy. And then, like, you know, five minutes later, like, I can't believe it was like, you know, one team would score three goals and the other team would score three goals and then you'd score three. Like, so, but as as Flames fans know, that's not really a recipe for success. Like, it's fun to watch, but it's not a recipe for success. So I don't think, look, Ottawa, Mm -hmm. I don't think they look at that game and they're like, okay, well, we found our blueprint for success. We're going to run and gun with people. But in saying that, uh, if we can strip aside the, the sloppiness, this team was supposed to be a high-octane offensive team. And mm-hmm. the first two games of the season, they were flat. They they scored two even-strength goals. And they, their, their, their big guns didn't really come out to play. And they did yesterday. They got a goal from Tibby Stutzla and a goal from uh, Giroux and a goal from uh, Kachuk and Batherson. And, like, kind of the players that you would think would elevate, they elevated last night uh, in that game. So... It's a huge thing. I think a lot of people were probably in their hockey pools thinking like, oh, Ottawa's going to be like a sneaky good offensive team. And then after the first two games, like, oh, no, like maybe maybe I took some of these guys a little bit too early. But I, I think <laughs> yesterday was a good example of when everything is revving, this could be a team, I think, that could get some nights where they score, you know, four goals in a game or five goals in a game. Now, um, again, their bigger issue has been some defensive issues, and they, they – they certainly reared their ugly head at times last night, but mm-hmm. but offensively, I think the the good outweighed the bad in that. Uh, look, there were seven goals in the second period alone. Uh, it was yeah. it was un, it was unhinged would be the word I would use <laughs> to describe that I, period. And again, very much like Calgary Edmonton in that playoff uh, game one last year. Yeah, I think that was the point in the game where I tweeted the picture of Kelly Kapoor when she's on the detox diet. Like I look amazing. Yeah. It's, yeah. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. I think the one I, I use I, whenever I the flames. Thinking, oh no, go ahead. Uh, I was gonna uh, when it when Audible blew the three nothing lead. I thought this is the time for Kevin and the chili. Uh, <laughs> get, yeah, yeah. yeah. Dropping the dropping the chili because it was like, are you kidding me? Like you have yeah. all this momentum, you've got the whole thing going. You're up three nothing. And you let them come back in the game. It was like, I can't believe you're going to let this slip through your, your fingers. But, but they were able to, uh, to kind of bounce back and, uh, and, and, and get the win. Yeah, I, I think, you know, before this game, there was already a lot of chatter of is DJ Smith's seat starting to get hot? And personally, I disagree with that. I think it's hard to critically analyze DJ Smith's coaching ability the last few years with the roster that he had and and really where the team was. Like if they were openly rebuilding despite the fact that maybe they there was some premature uh, comments about the rebuild is over. So I don't know if it's necessarily fair to, to analyze DJ Smith's ability to coach a competitive hockey team until right now. Do you think that win last night will kind of quiet some of that and people will let things kind of go and see, and see where they go this season? Cause he does have, um, another year or so left on his contract too. So where, where do you stand with DJ? Yeah, yeah, exactly, and and he's got this season, next season. If I'm not mistaken, there might even be a team option. He's got an, yeah, he's got a team option uh, for 2024-25. Yeah, exactly. So he's got two years plus a, a team option. Look, uh, I was interested because you know you, you know the other night in New Jersey they announced and your head coach oh, the, Lindy the Ruff, Lindy Ruff booze. I hated it, and I yeah, hated it, and, and and I hate that. You don't want to see that at any point for a, just when you think of the human side of things, right? Like I I understand that. This is sometimes an emotional game in sport, but you, I, I personally I don't like to see that. But I was I was curious. I said, okay, let me 
me pay attention here when, when they when they announced the head coach DJ Smith, and it was all cheers. Like I, if there were boos, I certainly didn't hear them. So I thought, okay, mm-hmm. well that's a good indication that um, you know I, I think he's got some some credit left in the bank, so to speak. But if they let me put it this way, if they don't win that game last night, and they're zero and three, and in particular if they lost that game having a three nothing lead. I think right. I'm on your show today, Haley, and I think we are talking a little bit more about the pressure. But, like, it, it's it's wild. To be, like, we're only a week into the NHL season. Mm-hmm. And I'm having a hard time, and you, you correct me if I'm wrong, of thinking of a, of a time in which there's been so many hot spots in the league in week one. Like, so think yeah. about what's going on in Minnesota with the goal. Like, there are 20 goals given up in three games. All of a sudden, things are getting tight there. Uh, Vancouver just keeps blowing multi-goal leads, and Bruce Boudreaux's like, oh, we're mentally fragile or weak or whatever. Yeah. Uh, you know, bouncer on New Jersey, we just talked about, um, you know, Lindy Ruff getting booed. You know, Columbus is off to, I know they won last time, but they're off to kind of a, a flat start. Like, there's some, uh, Sheldon Keefe has called out his, his big guns a couple of times. Mm-hmm. Like, like, it feels like there's some mounting pressure, and I think by winning that game yesterday, though, it relieved a little bit for Ottawa. Now, they're in the midst of a five-game homestand, and if they turn around. They got a, a weird swing game on Saturday against Arizona and I think you know if you don't bring that one home, I think maybe we're having that conversation on Monday, but there's an opportunity for them to kind of reset themselves. It was a wild game. But DJ Smith said before the game yesterday, we just need to win. And I, you know, and I think at the end of the day, that's not the way you would have drawn it up. I, most coaches are like give me a 4-1 win, right? Like maybe 3-1 with an empty netter. They don't want the 7-5 game. But he was he was happy with it. He probably thought and he thinks they deserve to win a game on their road trip, but he's probably right. I think to some extent they probably didn't deserve to come home with no points. So the win, I think, alleviates some pressure, but it's it's still kind of there, lingering in the background. Like if they they got they got to do well. There's four more games in this homestand. They got to win at least two more mm-hmm. of these games to sort of you know uh, you know neutralize some of that 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 pressure that's always there. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think when when we're looking at some of these hot seats and, and some of the pressure, um, high expectations is kind of a recurring theme. I, I don't know if you can really look at Columbus or San Jose and teams who have one or zero wins this season and say, oh, man, what's going on there? Is, is the coach going to be in his last last straw here? I, I'm not so sure. I think maybe the one team with uh, maybe a lack of the high expectation that that could be in trouble is is Anaheim and, and Dallas Eakins you know that's not Pat Verbeek's guy the new GM in Anaheim did not hire him so that's one where you kind of are on high alert but certainly I, I agree with you it's been a weird opening week with so many coaches apparently uh, already sitting on hot or warming seats I think looking at you were talking a bit about the defensive end um, I've got to ask you about Jake Sanderson he was the number five overall pick a couple years ago. Somebody who I was a big fan of, great, great player at University of North Dakota, and, and he's looked pretty good to start the season. Like His development curve is, has gone pretty quick. What, what have you thought early on from Jake Sanderson? Yeah, and, and obviously the Calgary connection with him, right? Like kind of, you know, his Absolutely. parents are out there and uh, yeah. you know, played some of his... Uh, Kind of when he was in high school, was out out that way too. So I I know there's probably a lot of listeners that that have kind of keenly followed Jake. And I got to tell you, Haley, like the first uh, again, we're only three games in. I think if you ask the average Ottawa fan who's been their best defenseman through three games, most of them will come back and say Jake Sanderson, which is remarkable when you consider he's a 20 year old rookie. But I, I think the biggest thing for me is uh, DJ Smith. They put him out in every situation. I think Ottawa has had to kill. 
I think it's eight penalties so far, the eight or nine penalties so far this season. I think he's been <laughs> over the boards every single time wow. to start the penalty kill. Every single time. Like, there isn't, you know, a lot of times we've got defense, we sort of see this easing in process of, uh, you know, we got, he's got to earn our trust. It's like, no, no, no. There's, there's no easing into the pool here. They're throwing this guy into the deep end. And he's been terrific. And he, he, he's so confident with the puck. I think the one thing people are starting to see uh, and I look, and I understand there, there was question when Ottawa drafted him at five. There's some people thought it was yeah. a bit of a reach. They thought there was like a not a, me well, though. Know, because, no, you you were one of the people that were advocating <laughs> uh, for when Ottawa. Uh, you know, you covered the Senators at the yes. time, and, and, and you, you were advocating that that he would be a good fit in that in that spot. And I think a lot of people thought ah, his his offensive game isn't the ceiling isn't very high. But now that you've watched him at the NHL level, I think everybody's like, wow, this guy can do some creative and smart things mm-hmm. uh, with the puck. He's not going to be Kale McCarr. He's not going to be Quinn Hughes. He's not, like, he's not going to be one of those guys. But I think he can be one of those, you know, I guess like a Thomas Shabbat type of guy that can mm-hmm. move the puck and do some dynamic and, and fun things. And, and look, he, he's 20 years old, and I, I always wanted to make sure. I think it's important that we temper the expectations around him because it's, it's unfair to ask a 20-year-old to come in and, and be the savior. But i got to tell you, he's come in, and he's really stabilized things for Ottawa. Now, he's given them a dependable uh, second pairing with Travis Hamanick, and mm-hmm. I I really think he's... I I don't know. It might be tough to see, like, can he do what Mord Sider did in Detroit last year? Like, can he get to 40-plus points? I don't know, but I wonder if we're going to be talking about him. Haley, if he can keep this up, I think he's going to be in the Calder conversation, because coming in at 20 and doing what he's doing, it's remarkable to me. For sure, and I think when you look at the shorthanded time and ice for the Ottawa Senators, the leaders in that category is Travis Hanemick, Hanem, oh my goodness, Travis Hamanick and uh, Jake Sanderson. Wow, I, I was, I, uh, since I've started doing this more consistently, I'm realizing sometimes I can't speak, and that's not great. Yeah, it's not a, it's not a, it's not a uh, kind of quality I look for in a talk radio. No, I was luckily <laughs> off air, but it took me a couple minutes the other day to to say the. I'm not even going to say the word because I'm not going to be able to say it. Probably, I was trying to say mesmerizing, and I couldn't do it. Anyways, it was, I shouldn't tell people that. <laughs> well, I, what I love is like <laughs> when you can't pronounce the name of an athlete, you just call it like like Giannis is a great example, right? In the NBA, yeah. you're just like oh, Giannis. Giannis is good, yeah. or, or in tennis, you're like oh Felix. Felix, Felix yeah. is so good. Like you just just leave out the last name. Yeah, so, like you you've got so, you've got so a you balance go sounding like you're trying to be their friend and butchering their name on a daily yeah, basis. So for you, moving forward, just call him Travis. <laughs> Travis. Don't even try Hamannick. It's Travis. Travis yeah. is really good for Ottawa. Travis yeah. had a great game for the Ottawa Senators. Yeah. All right, Ian, yeah. that's all the time we have for you. Thank you so much. It was great to have you. It's great to to switch seats. Thank you so much. The the Ottawa Senators and the Calgary Flames don't play against each other until February 13th. But I'm going to oh, mark you no on my Kachuk, calendar no, right now. No more Kachuk. No more Kachuk bowl either. Like, yeah, we don't talk about that. Oh, okay. <laughs> Good kidding. to know. I'm marking Good you on my know. calendar right now, though, Ian, because I've got to apparently book you far in advance. So February 13th. Okay. Maybe the 12th. We'll, we'll chat. <laughs> okay. That sounds, right. you know, that's, I'd like to think I could get in there before then. But, yeah, listen. We'll, we'll see what happens. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) All right. Have a good one. Thanks, my friend. Bye.
There goes Ian Mendez on the Atlas Pizza Hotline. That chat brought to you by Atlas Pizza and Sports Bar, 14-time Consumer Choice Award winner for takeout or delivery. Call 403-248-3344. Dine in at Atlas Pizza, 6060 Memorial Drive, Northeast. Coming up next, we're going to talk to Matt Fairburn, Buffalo Sabres writer at The Athletic, to tee up the Flames-Sabres matchup on Thursday night. We'll be right back after the break. Sportsnet 960, The Fan. Welcome back. It's Hockey Central. I'm Haley Salvian here with you. Before we had uh, Ian Mendez on the show there, we were talking a bit about some of the injuries around the league, talked a bit about Aaron Ekblad, and uh, that wasn't the only one. Just before we go to the Atlas Pizza Hotline with Matt Fairburn, Gabriel Landeskog is going to be out for 12 weeks. And Connor Brown is going to be out long term. So we got Matt Fairburn, I believe, on the line from The Athletic. He's our Buffalo Sabres writer. Let's bring him in. The Calgary Flames are going to be playing against the Buffalo Sabres on Thursday night. Buffalo was in Edmonton last night. They beat the Oilers 4-2. to Great game from a local guy, Eric Comrie. Local, I guess, in terms of... Edmonton. But Matt, you're in Alberta right now, is that right? You're in Edmonton? That's correct. I am just south of Edmonton. Uh just started making the drive to Calgary a little while ago. Pulled off somewhere somewhere south of the Edmonton airport. Oh, all right. So you just pulled over to to take this call? Absolutely. Yeah. I'm, uh, <laughs> it's my first time to Alberta, so I figured I I should pull off and make sure I I don't get lost. <laughs> Yeah, that's probably fair, I will say. Once you just get on the Alberta 2, you're good. You're just going straight for a while. It's uh, pretty flat. Although there are some nice things if you want to look around. But I guess the drive from Calgary to Edmonton is pretty straight. So, But I appreciate it. It's good commitment to safety. And joining me here on the show, I appreciate it. Oh, absolutely. Thanks for having me. And so the uh, the Sabres, as mentioned, beat the Oilers 4-2 to on Tuesday night. Eric Comrie had a great game, stops 46 of 48 Oilers shots, including a ton in the third period. Um, you know, he seals the win in his hometown, Edmonton. What can you tell us about Comrie's game last night? Yeah, he played out of his mind, uh, basically from the start of the game, helped them in it in the first period. The Oilers were were all over the Sabres early and I think he stopped six of seven high danger, uh, scoring shots on net from the Oilers and that allowed the Sabres to kind of get in it in the second period and take a lead. And then the third period was, was sensational. He was, uh, 22 of, of 23 shots that he stopped and the only one that went in was, you know, really a, a, a loose puck that squirted free and Nugent Hopkins was able to put it home, but, just an incredible game and you know it's one of those games that combined with his effort against Florida last Saturday makes you think that maybe the Sabres are onto something with this guy they they saw the sample size in Winnipeg and and they thought this is a guy who had a chance to be a starter and you know a decent you know risk for them to take on a on a low money deal and so far he looks like he could be a guy that could eat up a ton of starts they'll need it because Craig Anderson is 41 years old and so the more stars Comrie can make the better and uh, the craziest thing last night was after the game it, it seemed like he could have played another game like you know he stopped 
he saw 48 shots and it didn't even look like he was out of breath. I was tired just watching him, but uh, <laughs> he seemed like he still had a ton of energy. So just a, a great night for him. And like you mentioned, uh, you know, he spent the first nine years of his life in Edmonton before moving to to California. So he had some family and friends in the in the stands, and a uh, pretty special moment for him. That's great. I, I think I saw you know on on natural stat trick evolving hockey that he he had 11 no 13 excuse me unblocked shot attempts from Connor mcdavid and leon dreisaitl didn't let any of them in so that's a pretty that's kind of what you want to do against teams with with elite players like that if you're eric Comrie, um can we maybe can we expect him to start against the flames i know it's kind of early the game's not until tomorrow there hasn't been a morning skate but you were at practice i believe today uh does it seem like he's going to get the start tomorrow are they going to go back to craig anderson my early feel is that they'll probably go back to Craig Anderson. I know that was kind of the plan going into the road trip was to rotate these guys and probably for most of October. But, man, when when a guy stops 46 or 48, it's probably tempting to go back to him. So I'm curious to see uh, when we get to the skate tomorrow exactly what they're feeling. It was kind of a quick skate today and uh, some scrimmaging. Didn't even really get into line, so... Um, you know, we'll see what the lineup is, but it's got to be tempting to go back to a guy like that. I just know they're trying to trying to limit Craig Anderson's workload as much as possible, but it'll now have been, you know, a week in between Anderson's games, and he played great against Ottawa in the opener. So uh, certainly a good problem to have compared to what they were dealing with uh, in that last year in Buffalo. <laughs> For sure. I, had, I think I lost count how many different goalies or different situations they were leaping to last season in Buffalo. I guess a similar question for, for the Flames. Are they going to go with Dan Vladar? Are they going to go with Jacob Markstrom tomorrow for Flames fans listening? I know uh, Daryl Sutter said the plan is to have Dan Vladar start once per week. So Markstrom started yesterday against Vegas. They've got the Carolina Hurricanes later in the week. So I think some people are leaning towards maybe seeing Dan Vladar tomorrow. But we'll see what Daryl Sutter uh, does because I think most people who try to predict what what he's going to do are typically incorrect. Uh, so looking at the Buffalo Sabers though, and looking more ahead to this matchup, what can Flames fans maybe expect from the Buffalo Sabers tomorrow? Because they have had a pretty good start to the season. Um, I don't know if it's fair to call it surprising because most people did expect them to start moving in the right direction. But what can what can people in Calgary expect out of Buffalo tomorrow? Yeah, it's been a fairly encouraging start, I would say, for the Sabres. They've been, you know, they've played some tough teams and they've been outplayed at times, but I think this is a team that you can expect won't go away, you know, for three periods, and, and that's what they want to be. They want to be a team that is a little bit tougher to play against than they have been for, oh, I don't know, a decade. Uh, so I, I think they want to be a team that can get in your face, that can push back. They want to push the pace. They've had some trouble getting into a rhythm because, you know, penalties have disrupted their rhythm in some games and they just haven't gotten into a good flow. But last night against Edmonton, they put that line back together with Tage Thompson, Alex Tuck, and Jeff Skinner. That seemed to get some things going. And they've got some young guys playing in important roles and really living up to the hype. Dylan Cousins is starting to look like a seasoned veteran out there at just 21 years old. J.J. Paterka has three points in his first three games to start the season. Uh, he's been a revelation considering he was he was kind of, you know, not noticeable in the preseason at times and, and didn't really, you know, get himself going. And then the regular season starts, he's got 
two goals in three games. He scored again uh, against Edmonton. So they've got a lot of young, exciting players. Rasmus Dahlin is, is really coming into his own and, and taking on a leadership role. He's got goals in, in all three games. So some young, exciting players that are going to try to push the pace, but they're still prone to mistakes and, and still prone to some some extended periods within games where they're stuck in their own end, but they've got some some firepower up front for, for the first time in a while. And Rosmus Dahlin scored for the third straight game to start the season last night. What What seems to be clicking for him? Early on, again, I know it's only three games here, but what seems to be working early on for Rosmus Dahlin? You know, he showed up to training camp, and a lot of players were commenting that, you know, he looked like he had aged, you know, a couple of years over the span of a a few months uh, in the summer. You know, he just really got to that point where he physically matured, and he's he's stronger, and his his maturity is also noticeable in the way that he leads and, and his mentality on the ice. He's, he mentioned during camp that he, at times when he was younger, he was worried what people were thinking about him. He was worried about, you know, his style of leadership or his competitiveness, you know, that he maybe needed to hide that at times, not to rub people the wrong way. And in his words, he just stopped caring what people think and really has started to assert himself, you know, physically on the ice and in, in the locker room. He's a guy that isn't afraid to, to speak up and, and get in people's faces when it's called for. And he just seems so comfortable in the offensive zone getting into dangerous scoring areas down low. You know, it's not just shots from, from the point that are finding their way in. Two of his goals have come from finding a spot in front of the net and, you know, waiting for a pass out front. So, he is really, you know, kind of taking the next step. And what they want to see from him is consistency throughout the course of the season. He's shown the high-end potential really throughout his career. Now it's about being that guy every single night. Three games in, so far so good. He's really off to a strong start. Do you have any initial impressions on, I guess sticking with the young defenders in Buffalo, do you have any initial impressions on, on Owen Power? Owen Power took a few games to to get comfortable he was awesome in the preseason and and, you know when the level went up in the regular season it seemed like he was a little bit nervous in the first couple of games definitely opening night against Ottawa he was a little shaky and they played the Panthers a couple days later and you know that's a tough matchup for anybody and so you could see that he was a you know a a little bit not super strong on the puck and, and turning the puck over at times but Last night, I thought, was was his best game. He he looked like he had kind of turned a corner. I don't know if maybe getting away from the home crowd helped a little bit, but he seemed he led them with an ice time last night, and they also took him off the penalty kill. So I think maybe that helped him a little bit where, you know, simplified things, don't give him so much to worry about because, I mean, he's such an incredible player, you know, talent-wise, and he has such a great feel for the game that they feel like they can trust him in any situation. But I think simplifying things for him seemed to to pay off because last night was a a, a really strong game from him. And, you know, it's just going to be a matter of how quickly he can grow up because uh, he's obviously got a ton of potential and you can already see it. It's kind of crazy at his age as a defenseman to be playing the way that he is. And uh, I think it's only going to go up from here. 
You had a really great story come out on The Athletic in, in the last week about Don Granado and, and how his playing days at Wisconsin prepared him to lead the Sabres and, and how he has a winning track record. So I guess my last question for you, Matt, is what makes Don Granado or Donnie Meatballs, as people like to call him, uh, <laughs> the coach to turn things around in the long term for the Buffalo Sabres? Yeah, it's interesting because when I took over the beat and, you know, I was covering the NFL before and so I came in and as I got to know, you know, people around hockey and in hockey media, a lot of people talked about how great a fit Don Granado was because of his time with the U.S. Development Program and his track record of developing young talent and working with young players. And obviously the Sabres have a very young roster, the youngest in the league. And so I was kind of curious to know, like, eventually this guy needs to win, right? You don't just get to be a development coach at, at the NHL level. And tracing that back, it, it's very clear not, not only that, you know, he has the track record as a winner, you know, as a player, as a coach, that those are things that he carried with him throughout each stop. He, he really took the long road to get to the NHL. He's coached at a ton of different levels. And he views himself that way. There's not a, there's no sense of, you know, even though he got an extension last week, he was already talking about how he didn't necessarily feel like the extension granted him any sort of security or uh, ability to take a deep breath or anything like that because he knows he needs to win. He needs to get results. And he's always been that way. He's a guy that, you know, his college teammates described him as a good listener. And I don't know about you, but I don't know that, you know, I don't know too many college kids that people describe as a good listener. And, you know, that's what made him a, a good captain. It's what made him help them, you know, win a national championship with, with his leadership. And I think players really respect that he's he, he shows confidence in his guys and lets them play the way they want to play rather than, you know, trying to fit them into a system. He really tries to free guys up to be themselves. And it's already paid off with some, some really big leaps from guys like Tage Thompson. You're seeing shades of it with Dylan Cousins right now. J.J. Paterka uh, is off to a good start. So I think he can really help accelerate the growth of this team. And I'm curious to see when the expectations continue to go up, you know, how his intensity is because he wants to win. He's He's competitive, and I think they think in that room people aren't probably talking enough about what they can do uh, this season, and they feel like they can go out there and beat anybody. And they showed last night, you know, in Edmonton that, you know, one of the, the best teams in, in the Western Conference, and, you know, they, they won by a couple of goals, and they've got another big test uh, tomorrow night against Calgary. Yeah, the Flames are going to see what the Buffalo Sabres can do. Sabres will see what the Flames can, can do against them as well. Thank you so much, Matt. Before I let you go, because uh, i got about a couple seconds left here, we got a number uh, – Note from the text line, 96960. Tell Matt to hit the Starlight Diner, the Starlight Diner car in Bowdoin for a good burger, shake, and onion rings on your drive. That's from Jamie and Airdrie. So you'll have to let me know if you if you hit that up on your way. I love love the pro tip for, from, <laughs> from the listeners. Really appreciate it. Yeah, thanks, thanks Matt. There, there he goes on the Atlas Pizza Hotline. Chat brought to you by Atlas Pizza and Sports Bar, 14-time Consumer Choice Award winner for takeout or delivery. Call 403-248.
3344. Dine in Atlas Pizza, 6060 Memorial Drive East. Something Matt can check out once he, once he gets to Calgary. All right. That's all the time we have for today. One thing to note, uh, that we didn't get a chance to talk about before we go. City of Calgary and Calgary Flames and Entertainment Corporation have agreed to restart formal discussions on a new arena deal. So I'm sure you'll hear more about that from Pat Steinberg on Flames Talk later this afternoon. Big story in Calgary. We'll see where that leads this time around. Thanks to Matt. Thanks to Ian and Logan for joining me and chatting today. Three games on the schedule Wednesday night. Flames back on Thursday. We'll be back on Hockey Central at 1 o'clock tomorrow on Sports at 960 or On Demand.